Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today, I'm talking to Tamara Lazaroff, who's an exciting writer writing honest things and whom I enjoyed spending time with. Uh, She gets pretty in-depth and personal in this episode as I ask her about her time growing up in a Macedonian community in Sydney, and she speaks a lot on how it's been trying to reconcile the different cultures to which she has connected roots and all. Again, I like this conversation a lot, and I think you will too. But here's just the regular housekeeping. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, but you're listening, so you probably are subscribed. So as I've said on the last few episodes, just tell one friend about the House Conspiracy podcast, someone who's interested in art, writing in Brisbane, in the documentation of artists, just tell them to have a go. Send them a link. Do whatever you can. Get them on board. But for now, after you've spread the love, on to the show. There's baking paper on the windows of the French doors to the writer's studio, diffusing the light that passes through. Behind those doors, in my favorite room of the house, the one we built all the way back in January, Tamara stacked a couple baskets on her desk so she can stand as she works. Chloe, one of our other current residents, who I interviewed a couple episodes back, hears Tamara typing away while she dances. Tamara talks in this podcast about discipline, and it seems like she's got a lot of it. She chooses her words carefully, and she's thoughtful about the way she answers questions and approaches subjects. That goes for on and off the podcast. But whatever. Show don't tell, right? Here's Tamara Lazaroff. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I've had a good time. Yeah. A nice time. (laughs) Yeah, it's just kind of been nice to be um, away from my cat. And you don't demands. like your cat? What's wrong with your cat? <laughs> I love my cat, but just her, all her demands. It's just like so, it can focus so, it's unbelievable. Yeah, mm. I've very rarely had a, a space of, you know, separate to home. Mm. Yeah. yeah, a place where you can sort of, is, is it useful for you to be able to sort of separate when you're working on your writing and when you're in a personal space? Yeah, it's fantastic. Are you yeah. able to do that in your own home? Like, do you have an office space or do you sort of just work in the kitchen or the lounge room or whatever? I've got a little study, so okay. it's fine. Yeah, That's nice. Yeah, and it works out. I, I just work there normally. But something about coming here, it's just so, I don't know, it's just my mind is like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of tunnel vision on your art. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And you're a writer slash... Do you call yourself a writer? Do you call yourself a memoirist? Um, no, a writer. Writer, yeah. Because <laughs> your memoirs are interesting in that uh, they're not 100% true. Yeah, and in fact, they're not even really memoirs. I don't really ever call them memoirs, but other, sometimes other people do. Mm. Yeah. I don't know why I, I've thought of, thought of your thing as memoirs. Probably because I might have written... Auto, um, auto based on autobiographical right yeah so let's let's get into that then yeah. um the work that you're working on now is walnuts almonds and other nuts is that correct yeah walnuts almonds nuts Wal- Wal- walnuts almonds nuts yeah um and that work is based on your trip overseas yeah a sort of medley of stuff it's kind of inspired by that there's mm-hmm. a lot of travel stories and but there's also sort of um, um, a, 
a fairy tale in there. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a mix of different stuff. Child's point of view, stories set in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me about the tell me about the travel that inspired a fair bit of the book. You said you went on a roots journey. Yeah. Now what's that, and how's that speak to your speak to your work? Um, well, I think I might have mentioned to you in the um, kitchen when we first met here mm. that I had been doing, I had started a PhD mm-hmm. and that I wasn't enjoying it and I left. And then, um, and what I really wanted to do was study Macedonian, this, the, uh, the language. And so I, when I left the PhD experience, I started studying this, you know, this language. And that led, got me a scholarship to go to Macedonia study for the summer. And my parents are both from Macedonia, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like, uh, you know, I've been there many times before, but it was kind of experiencing it in, in a non-familiar context. Going yeah. there on your own for the first time? No, not for the first time, but not seeing family. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so was it, did you grow up there or did you grow up here? No, or? here. Yeah. In, in Sydney. Yeah. But very, you know how there can be like little villages in Sydney mm-hmm. of ethnic groups. Yes. Yeah. 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 So you're in a Macedonian sort of uh, group in Sydney then? Yeah. Growing up. Yeah. What was that? What was that like? What was it like seeing sort of the overlap between Macedonian and Australian culture? What was that like growing up for you and how did it play into now your writing? Um, I think, um, I guess I've sort of had a bit of a love-hate relationship with Macedonianness in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this all the stories here are kind of about, um, they're all sort of liberation stories in a way of, of, of various different characters. Um, so it's kind of breaking free of memories and identities and places and politics and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. This is so, within your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what is it? I guess for starters, what is Macedonianness, and what sort of caused you to have a love hate relationship with it? Um. Well, what is Macedonianness? It used to be part of Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it's kind of you know in the nineties there was a big war and yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So it's kind of a new place of its own. Like it's a, one of the youngest languages. Really? Yeah. And so one of the things that I kind of learned when I was studying the language was it was completely different to before the Second World War, it was a completely oral language. It wasn't didn't have a written form, wasn't mm-hmm. documented. And my so my grand all of my grandparents couldn't read and write. And they the language that they spoke was, was very different to the lang- the standardized language now. And in their area, actually, um, just before um, you know, the wars happened in the early 1900s. They, someone, an ethnologist compiled, um, a di- it's called the Dictionary of Greasy Words, four volumes, but that sort of translates to dirty words. Okay. And so, <laughs> so the, the language, my grandparents' language is really, I don't know, like it's kind of like Yobbo Australian or something. I don't know, like it's like right. full of very colourful language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and expressions, and that's not, Sort of translated into the standardized Macedonian. Okay. Yeah. So I'm also trying to, um, yeah, sort of document that language as best as I can in English, if you know what I mean. Right. Sort of translate sort of the way of saying it. Yeah, and the feeling. Mm-hmm. And yeah. What What sort of feelings are there in that that maybe, like what what are what are those feelings? 
Um, very uh, un PC. <laughs> <laughs> so very colourful, like in sort of the way we understand colourful. Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, just sort of yeah, very earthy mm-hmm. kind of language. Yeah. So yeah, and of course the then when I went as a as an adult and was studying Macedonian there and meeting people that that Macedonian is completely different to the one that I knew in my little house in Sydney. Yeah, of course, because yeah. it becomes blended with the small community yeah. that it would have been within. Yeah. Um, so you've said sort of that being in a separate place and working on your art here has been really useful. What was it like writing in another country? Was Does travel aid your writing? Does it hamper it because you want to be traveling and not writing? Or do they feed into each other? What's that like for you? Um, actually, I wasn't writing in Macedonia. I was just sort of taking notes. I was, mm-hmm. I was there, like, studying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, I went on a residency last year in Spain. had nothing to do with Macedonia, but it was just great to be somewhere different. <laughs> I, don't, I'm, I, I can write anywhere, yeah. actually. Yeah. Can, can you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can. I can. Like, I, I tend to sort of get little bits in at train stations and pop out your laptop. All that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you often your writing process then? If you can write anywhere, does that does that mean that your process sort of ends up being like? Do you end up writing like lots of little bits, or do you end up writing um, sort of sitting down and going, "This is my four hours. I'm going to get something substantial out." What tends to be your process? Um, I'm very disciplined sort of mm-hmm. person, so I always sort of make time for it but the way that it seems to happen like definitely the thing that I've been working on here sort of originally comes out in came out in like jigsaw pieces okay you know just blobs and then so out of order yeah totally out of order and then I you know and I can feel that there's some energy there or something and then I you know go back to it and create you know select and discard and whatever and make some sort of order and then I've got a skeleton and then I just add the meat and mm. yeah, every part of the process I enjoy. Yeah. So does it tend to then be like quite an iterative process for you where you start with something and then you build on the piece? Like how much do your drafts change between drafts? Um, the blob, the initial blob. Yeah. Um, some of it, some of it is, is the, the words I like and I keep, but mostly mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I just change it all and I'm kind of just, I'm, I use the energy of the blob. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So, so you search for blobs that have the right feeling. Yeah. And that's yeah. the feeling you're trying to, are you often, when you're writing, are you often trying to capture a feeling more than anything else? Or what, do you, what, what is it usually? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It doesn't, the, my writing doesn't usually come from ideas. It comes from like a, a, a felt sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So stuff that you've felt sort of, in your life is it stuff that you feel like sort of in a moment or a stu- uh, ways that you feel about things if that makes sense as sort of a distinction um i think it might be a bit more d- a distance than that kind of um yeah looking at something from afar from with some distance and mm-hmm. then piecing together yeah yeah cool and then yeah. i guess piecing it together makes a lot of sense if you're working with blobs yeah because your process is piecing together the, the feelings as well yeah yeah 
Um, so what you're working on a short story collection mm-hmm. and it's almost done, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what are the stories about? What ties them all together? Um, that theme of breaking free of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, they're sort of all about cel- celebratory liberation of, in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are they based and, and Macedonia? And Macedonia, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they, but but they're not all set in Macedonia. No. They're, they're, there's a lot set here, and there's yeah. a lot set around around the place. Um, yeah. What um, what sort of what sort of keeps you coming back to that theme? Like, what what is it about your your life, your experience, your thoughts that for 16 stories, right? Or 15, yeah, 16 15, or something 16, like that, yeah. That, that you've got 15 or 16 different perspectives on this sort of one sort of mm. core thing. Obviously, they're not all the same story. But, yeah. um, but <laughs> yeah. th- that you keep coming back to this. Why is that? Or why do you think that is? I don't... Like I said, there's... A, like, I think there's just a, a long-term love-hate relationship, <laughs> yeah, with Macedonianness. Yeah, just... Um, I think... Oh, well, partly... Um, my, you know, if I could get sort of, can I get personal? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. please. Um, yeah, back, um, my mother had an arranged marriage with my father mm-hmm. and then and then she, it seemed as though she was the first woman to leave her husband in the Macedonian community. Wow. Because of the kind of the reaction and people used to spit on her in the street and... Um, was this in Macedonia? In, or was in, this Sydney. in Sydney. Wow. Yeah, in okay. Sydney. <laughs> Yeah, and um, so there was both, you know, that intense tribal culture of, you know, people being together and that, and the total, you know, the the good feeling that comes from that, of, you know, people really knowing you, and then and then the feeling of, oh my God, if you actually do something people don't agree with, this is how this all happens in that tribal mentality. Yeah, so it's that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's that tribal mentality. What do you what do you love about it then? Um. Well, I guess it's, it's belonging, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, when it comes down to it. Yeah, mm. and I mean, there are a lot of things not to love about it, but there are. Um, well, in that you know, in that culture, like I said, there's a way of seeing the world that's completely different to. The, you know an English language way of seeing the world and you yeah I kind of miss that sometimes yeah and I didn't really get that in studying the modern Macedonian language so I think this, this was kind of like a, a way in right yeah right so um, then what 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 your what your your mother went through mm. um, how does she now feel about the Macedonian uh, Macedonianness. If we'll keep tying back to that word. <laughs> um, oh, she died of, like a few years ago. Okay. Yeah. So, but she kind of built her life away mm-hmm. from that, and so that's probably part of why I, I'm revisiting it because it's like this nostalgic thing. Mm. Because you know, after after say age nine, I wasn't part of it anymore. Yeah, because we went our own way. So yeah. yeah. And so now it's. Because in your application, you described it as, and I think I mentioned before, like a roots, a roots journey, a journey uh, going back to your roots. Yeah. Um, do you find that there are parts of you that are, even though you sort of shifted away from it at, at being nine, are there parts of you that are very much still tied to that community, that very much still reflect it? 
or is it sort of an interest from the outside like you were saying before um both because i can sort of you know um in this like in the writing and also in my life i'm kind of a bit of an anthropologist in a way (laughs) stepping back but also you know there are there are parts of me that are you know it's like blood and bone stuff Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's it's still in me yeah so you're an anthropologist in your, in your, in your, are you, are you literally an anthropologist? No, no, no. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> just, just, just thought I'd check. Um, yeah, I, since I've yeah. been away, I haven't had as many conversations to know whether you're an anthropologist or not. Maybe you are. Um, uh, maybe you're studying me. Um, uh, but um, no, uh, I think if you're, if you're an anthropologist and you're writing, is that sort of what you see as the main part of the main purpose of, of your writing is sort of that analytical element or is it is it the communication of feeling or is it both and how do they play with each other um i think i hope it's the, the communication of feeling mm-hmm. yeah i don't yeah I, I don't i'll have to ask someone else who's read it who's read some stuff to say um yeah i hope it's a communication of feeling mm. yeah so then if, if, if you're going for the, the communication of feeling, then how does sort of the, the being the anthropologist, the sort of embodying that, how, how, does, that, how does that help? Like, how, do, how does that feed into your ultimate goal of creating feeling? Um, I think all writing is, uh, is an act of detachment mm-hmm. in a way. Um, so I don't know how or how else to do it, really. I mean, that's kind of one of the nice things about writing that you can kind of step back and play with pieces <laughs> with pieces with um sentences and things and things yeah. that's really that's really interesting that idea of writing as detachment could you expand on that like a bit more so it's the idea that detachment from what i guess is maybe the first question yeah um my mother used to say that it was de- um, detachment from life <laughs> Okay, <laughs> but I don't know if that's that's true because um, yeah, because it's actually it, it feels like it's it's you know you're you're in the gore of life you know the things that we don't normally talk talk about in detail with friends and people um, is all the stuff that goes into my writing anyway mm-hmm. you know um, because usually you know people don't give you. 30 minutes just to talk you know speak a monologue yes yeah 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 um yeah also i think that um it's a good way to revisit and that and you know and think about the past or the future or even the present in a in in that detached way and it's not and then it's not emotional fully emotional even though feelings are there Mm. yeah Hmm. so it's is is the process is the process for you detached or is it is it the outcome or is it or is it both like when you're writing are you detached or are you feeling intensely the feeling that you're trying to communicate um i think mostly i'm detached okay and and actually i do remember a friend of mine said we read uh, one of the stories a while ago and she said oh my god i can't bear to think of you in that place and i'm thinking I'm in such, you know, having such a joy, you know, <laughs> getting it out there. No, just no? Uh, just writing it with with detachment. It's really it's an interesting place to explore. Um, 
lived experience, but with you know shaped shaped lived experience. Right, yeah. which which is what you mean by it not Detach- really being memoir. Yeah, is that yeah. you're really you're you're building on the themes and the feelings of your life and sculpting them. Yeah, and shaping and selecting and having a voice choose me or choosing a voice or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I can never really say that it's true. No. Yeah. But the feeling is, hopefully, if it works. Yeah. Yeah. In, you know, in a narrative sense, not even the truth. Sometimes not even the real, real sense, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not real. Um, so then... Yeah. When you're when you're putting together a story, um, how important is voice to you? I think that's the number one thing. Number one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that what you is that what you start with in process often or? Um, I'm trying to find the right voice, mm-hmm. or you know, letting letting the voice find me because I I don't know I don't know how conscious it is sometimes. No. Yeah, I think that you have to mess around and and let it emerge. But, you know, even when I read, it's the voice that speaks to me first. I, I, don't really, I don't even care about the plot so much. I just want to feel like someone's talking to me. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I actually strongly, strongly agree. I was talking to my friend about Faulkner the other day. Um, I haven't read it, but he was saying, like, read this book for the voice. And yeah. he told me the whole plot. And he just tells me the whole plot of the story. But then he says, no, but you have to read it. For the voice, so 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 I fully I fully I fully understand actually. Um, I like that idea that you said, like the idea of a voice feeling like someone talking to you, and then you also said earlier that you don't get the chance to make a, a thirty minute monologue, and that's interesting because I guess even if you have characters in a story, do you feel like? I mean, I assume you do. They're all you. All the characters. Yeah. In yeah. A aspects. Way. Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. Well, not even aspects, but like. Everything that you wrote is from you, regardless <laughs> yeah. of whether they're characters. Yeah, yeah. Is that something you're particularly conscious of? Like, what when you when you write a character, do they do they emerge? Are they vessels for exploration of themes, or what's the, what what what's sort of your process? What's the purpose? Um, well, with all these these Macedonia stories, like again just you know well when I, when I came back from Macedonia I was just like talking to it all couldn't stop talking about it and I thought well I've got, to, I've got to actually you know I can't talk about Macedonia for the next five years <laughs> I've got to actually yeah and so and there were just people that I'd met and so they're, they're built on people that interest me mm-hmm. yeah but yeah just the the beginning point yeah do you often get your voices then from people you've yeah. met yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Definitely. that's is that where it starts for you? You meet someone who is interesting and either has an interesting way of speaking or their character lends it to a voice and is yeah. that sort of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a way of thinking that appeals to me or Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when you're in Macedonia then you were having a lot of conversations? Yeah. In my in my terrible Macedonian. Yeah. <laughs> How was that? Yeah. How was that sort of are you are you good at sort of going up to people and just sort of having conversations in broken Macedonia <laughs> well it's hard to avoid you know people in Macedonia are generally extremely it's sort of it's such a small place like the biggest city you know just has a few hundred thousand people and it has a very village vibe mm-hmm. and honestly people will just walk with you for five miles 
just to chat. Wow. It's a very chatty culture. And, and the thing that really uh, surprised me is like, People just talk and, and people in Macedonia, or in the Balkans in general, are allowed to have 30 minute monologues. It's mm. quite normal, you know, for someone just to hold court and talk and everyone will just be like, oh, oh wow, and <laughs> go huh. on. Are they telling yeah. stories or are they yeah, yeah. monologues? Telling yeah. stories. And so, of course, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the fact that people are allowed to do it is even more awesome. Um, but then, oh, yeah, that's when I was actually studying Macedonian as a, at this um, um, literature seminar mm-hmm. it's so funny that um, the, the micro, micro fiction is massive in Macedonia and I couldn't get over it because people just talk so much and yet <laughs> they're know? really into short stories yeah, in yeah. Form. maybe yeah. it's because they can only read between conversations <laughs> probably yeah so um, when you travelled through Macedonia did you did you notice that the Macedonia was like particularly similar to the like in the village feel to where you grew up in Sydney up until you're nine did you have vivid enough memories or was it different and how was it different yeah no they're much more relaxed in in uh, the actual Macedonia mm-hmm. yeah because I guess you know the people who came out here they grew up in the Ottoman Empire and in a very different way and whereas people over there grew up through communism and very different um, thoughts about gender and work, just everything's so different. It's actually really cool. Yeah. yeah. What 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 sort of different perspectives do they do they have in Macedonia? I don't think it, it's a hugely discussed culture, so I'd love to just hear you talk about <laughs> it. I know um, you said you weren't going to talk about Macedonia for five years, but here's your chance. Um, it is. It is. It is still a bit of a macho culture in mm-hmm. a way. You know. It's, it's sort of on the it's bordering uh, Eastern Europe and the, the Middle East. But the, maybe I'll just say this, the, the kind of misogyny is different. Okay. <laughs> different flavour. Okay, that, expand yeah. on that. Because I've often, I've, well, I've often heard that Australia... Is I very, mean, it's very misogynist in comparison. Well, I think. no, I mean, but oh. it, 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 yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's very clear that Australia is very misogynist, but also from my own travels and from hearing from women who have traveled, Australia has a very special sort of special, god damn it, what a fucking terrible one. Um, <laughs> a, a very, a very certain kind of misogyny as well. So what is, what is the kind of misogyny, the lesser misogyny over in Macedonia? What is it? What's it like? The, the misogyny the, over in Macedonia. Oh. I realize those two words eerily similar. <laughs> um, I, hmm. Can I get back to you on that? Because um, I want to give a like a, a thought. A thought. Sure, answer. sure, sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll put that one on put that one on hold. Um, but okay, so so you said the misogyny is different, but what else? What else is what else is different about over in Macedonia? Like you said, they have different thoughts about gender, um, different thoughts about work that is probably a holdover from the communist regime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I it seems like there's um, I think because of communism, it, it, things sort of seem more equal or something. I just okay. like relationships between, I don't know, ma- um, male and relation relationships, friendships seem to be really, you know, b- between men and women seem to be really different to here. I don't know. Yeah, mm. like I find that I have more female friends here, but there it it just feels like there's no other 
like the vibe yeah yeah there's there's you, you know how that old sort of saying you know maybe not your generation i don't know but you know like <laughs> let's find out give me the same <laughs> um yeah like my well my mother used to say you know like in australia she goes she go to a party and the women will be in this corner and the guys would be in that corner and mm-hmm. that kind of yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i don't is, i don't know is it, is it the same in your generation um i no, no but but, but you probably really. mix in but different e- and equally we go to arts like I go to arts parties and that's yeah, often different, different too because I remember from like going to sort of high school 18th and 19th yeah. and 20th and whatever um, they were probably still like guys and girls divided yeah. maybe um, yeah. I don't know it's it's difficult when you're in the arts to sort of yeah. feel like you have a genuine cut of society when yeah, in reality yeah, yeah. like you're actually in sort of the, the fringe most accepting most yeah. open yeah. Um, section of society so I, I don't know I can't speak I for the whole generation yeah but then when you step out of that it's a whole different ball game probably well that's it yeah. I mean yeah the arts the arts is very specific I think yeah um, like other industries overlap you know business and engineering or whatever but the mm. arts sort of sits separate maybe that's pretentious to say i don't know yeah um, but it, it <laughs> seems to in terms of kind of the, the kind of people that end up in the arts because sort of the value sets the value structures and whatnot and this podcast yeah. has become about me <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, but um so yeah here in australia you tend to have more female friends yeah in Sydney, it's less yeah divided. i know it's a silly thing to say or even to notice but that's no like, i mean yeah. i it's valid i mean if it's yeah. if it's an observation that's what a writer does a writer sees um when mm. you i'm actually interested to follow up um what if, what if, what's different about the macedonian perception of work oh um well people are very relaxed just put it that way <laughs> yeah like uh, yeah. sort of similar to quote-unquote island time yeah 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 something like that yeah and definitely i think it's like a lot of european countries and probably you know a lot, a lot of countries in gen in in general that people that relationships and friends and family are the most important thing mm-hmm. yeah seems to be yeah but what the major priority but also you you can't actually make a lot of money in macedonia so yeah, yeah right which is probably like a big part of why people seem more equal is if there's less um in wealth inequality yeah then you're gonna end up with sort of people who are gonna treat each other more equally yeah hopefully yeah um yeah. which i think is one of the, the biggest battles that we'll probably face is gonna be the one between wealth inequality um are yeah. they are they are they is it a happy place is it a happy place well, there's a lot of dancing and <laughs> joking on the street. Okay. <laughs> Just people breaking out into song. But you hesitated a little bit. <laughs> no, there's a there's a massive. It's a um, uh, there's there is a massive divide. It's a very multicultural place, and like there's, um, and the communities that are divided are Christian and Muslim mm-hmm. communities. Even even though religion is not such a big thing. In, I mean, uh, not saying that not for everybody, but it's not it's not very a religious place. But people identities are you know very very much aligned with religion still. That's how um, 
that's the history of the of the place. You know, the Ottoman Empire people used to think of themselves in terms of not not nationality but religion. Okay. Um, yeah, and then nations, you know, came to be, and then people started to think nationalistically. But um, yeah, but the that's the divide. Yeah, religious stuff. So yeah. Um, but actually, when I was in um, Spain last year, I met this guy who was doing some peace work in Macedonia and um, trying to um, create relationships with um, and conversations between younger young Muslims and young Christians. Christians. Yeah, which I was fascinated about because um, yeah, the the divide seems so. Are people over there often one or the other? Is there a large sort of secular population or are people mostly either Christian or Muslim? Um, I think, I mean, I can't speak for, but it seems like people are both secular and Christian and Muslim. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it becomes more about the culture than the the religion, the religious aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is complex. (laughs) As, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So, all of this sort of, how much of this sort of stuff that we've talked about, like, plays into your writing, like, um, sort of the stuff we've been talking about, sort of, you know, it's, it's not central, but it's kind of there in the peripheries. Yeah. Yeah. But but definitely the gender stuff. Is. Mm-hmm. actually the thing that I'm writing here it's um, it's based on um, like a lived experience and my uh, my father took me to when I was 11 to Yugoslavia it was, it mm-hmm. was then and while we were there he sort of gave me a tour of what the world would look like if it was good for him <laughs> like okay. in terms of women women's roles so okay. yeah like and not not like diminished kind of women's roles and so it's kind of about that yeah what what do you remember of that trip um well i think like the the core of the the story and Mm -hmm. like it's probably the heaviest story in there i remember my we had all these lunch engagements like the all the relatives would you know have us over every day for a month Mm -hmm. each relative you know family house and I remember one day we walked alone and um, and usually my auntie would come with us, sort of take us to the to the address and my father said, uh, you know, did you have did you notice that, you know, your uncle has um, a mistress and his kids send the messages and his wife knows and it's okay. And, you know, did you notice your cousin Maria, how she's got bruises and her nose is a bit funny. Did you notice? Like, did you see? Like, you know, just just trying to sort of tell me. I think that this is how things. This is how he he liked it, you know, because my mother left him, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, and that's the kind of, you know, the crux of the story. Yeah, but you know, there are also the village cooperative office ladies that form a bigger part of that story <laughs> right yeah sure sort of sort of looking at well what what also plays out yeah, from yeah, the non-male yeah. perspective yeah um the behind the scenes of behind the scenes yeah um 
did that have a this is like a super freudian question but i'm gonna ask it and you have okay. every right to decline but did that sort of affect and shape your relationship with your dad sort of after that sort of that trip or yeah 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 big time yeah yeah did you have did you did you sort of have much to do with him and the rest of the macedonian community in sydney um, after that or well <laughs> i feel like i'm talking very personally here but um basically when when i was legally allowed to I decided not to see him anymore. Yeah. 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 That, that makes sense given the story you've told. And so yeah. going back and revisiting that, that sort of experience through your writing, which is incredibly complex. Mm. Um, is that like, I guess you're doing it in the detached way. Yeah. But yeah, what's it, much. aside from sort of being able to detach, what's it, what's it doing for you psychologically or why have you decided to go back to that? Yeah, again, see, I don't even know if I decided to okay. do it. And um, what was the first part of your question? Because I had an answer. <laughs> what was the first part of yeah. my question? Yeah, good question. I think I, think I asked, um, what, what, what is it doing for you? Oh, what is it doing for me? Well, oh, that's what I was going to say. Like, talking about it with you here now, mm. like, I feel really emotional, like I could cry kind of thing. But when I'm writing I'm about it, I don't feel like, like, I feel it's, joyous it's mm -hmm. just so strange even though it's really kind of dark material is it a catharsis is it is it getting know. out is it getting it out or is it just the joy of exploring something true yeah i think it's the joy of exploring something and also you know when you uh, in not all uh, only a few stories are from a child's point of view but this one is definitely from a child's point of yeah. view and it's kind of you know when you're a child you don't not you don't have language mm -hmm. to express what you're feeling what you're seeing and whatever and i think it's the articulation of that as an adult that's yeah. helpful to me. Right. Yeah. Writing as a kid is often difficult because you have to skirt the line between being too naive, like writing a character that's yeah. too naive and also writes too much. How yeah. do you find writing as a kid? Do you find it useful? Do you find it more difficult than writing as an adult? Um, actually, um, well, the, the other the other stories are there are three that are written from a child's point of view are very uh, are quite naive, but there's no, there's an extra layer for the adult reader. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, um, but this one I've sort of it just happened that I'm I, I recently read um, Hideous Kinky by Esther Freud. There was a movie. Yeah, um, she's Freud's great granddaughter mm -hmm. or something, and and she it's written in the child's point of view, but. Uh, the language is that of an adult okay and it worked and I don't know I, I, I didn't even think of, I, I think it's a, it's affected the way I've told this story because the language is also very adult and actually I think it kind of works anyway yeah cool yeah so you're writing you're writing in adult languages in like sort of not shying away from vocabulary yeah what about knowledge like and does the child know everything that's going on but they're still a child or are they using adult vocabulary but they're still sort of shielded um i think well as a as a child with those experiences i, I knew very well what was happening mm -hmm. you know because i think children do know a lot they just are not able to articulate, articulate yeah. yeah and so this, the narrator does know a lot of stuff mm -hmm. and it's probably um, the most has the most reflective elements in all of the stories like sort of internality yeah yeah um, and I think whereas the others don't have a lot of that yeah and so, so it's sort of 
the way we're where it, it falls in the whole collection uh, it's right in the middle so it's kind mm. of like the weight in the middle um yeah you mentioned <laughs> there were, i think you mentioned in your application that there's a centerpiece novella within yeah. it is this that novella no, no. this is about ten thousand words okay wow yeah. that's still pretty long for a short story yeah i know yeah that's not like that's not like a, it's not a, it's, it's, <laughs> It's not a critique. It's that's just a statement. It's a neutral party. Um, is yeah. that a is that a length that sort of do you actually talking on length of stories? Do you tend to sort of what sort of length do you end up falling at? Do you know what length you're going to fall at when you start, or do you just write till the story's done? Do you find there's a pattern of length you fall into? I think I'm really just in writing all these stories. I've I'm, I'm, I've learned a lot about and how how to guess or you know estimate the the word length like mm -hmm. because when i i had the first uh, the first draft of this i did maybe a couple of years ago and then i started writing it and it was just like out of like getting out of hand and i was like why i just want you to be a short story like really short like and then i put it aside and now i feel like um i don't know i can handle the yeah, I can just hand, hand like know how how long it's going to be and how how short it's going to be. Mm. Yeah. Um, whereas when I started, I I didn't really have a have a sense yet. Most of them are about two and a half thousand words. Yeah. So it's, it's funny yeah. how short stories sort of end up falling at that length. It's a great length because you can read it in one sitting. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. anywhere between sort of two and four thousand. Um, yeah. Talking on sort of your um, process I want to sort of talk about you as a, as a writer rather than as Macedonianness and sort of speaking mm. on like your history um, how long have you been writing actively uh, yeah only you know I did an undergrad like years ago and uh, but in I, writing in writing mm -hmm. yeah but I've and you know obviously I wrote as a kid and stuff like that but I only really sort of I don't know, committed to writing only in the last five or six years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, and I feel like I've sort of had a bit of an, this, whatever happens with these stories has been an apprenticeship of sorts. Yeah. Just learning how to, how to trust my intuition. Mm. Yeah. And how to allow things to develop and the stage of like the creative, my creative process. Yeah. So only really five or six years. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but you can learn. I mean, you must have learned a, a whole lot in sort of drafting and redrafting short stories. Yeah, yeah. These ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So much, unbelievable. Yeah. What changes have you? What changes have you noticed in both like your understanding of writing and of reading too, and um, of your own processes? Sort of over the five six years, what have you? What have you noticed that's new? What's changed? What's what's been that process? What have been some highlights, some aha moments, maybe? Hmm. Um. Well, sometimes um, I've had a few sort of lucky stories that have just come out, mm -hmm. but mostly it's work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Again and again and again, <laughs> coming to it and. It, doesn't work and then you do yeah sometimes things take a long time and and i think i've developed a bit of stamina and i enjoy that anyway just mm. revisiting yeah so i've definitely built that kind of stamina muscle i think because you mentioned you're you're very disciplined um, yeah in your writing so you do you sort of sit down and go 
I'm going to write for this much time or do you sit down and go, I'm going to write this many words or what, what is your, what, what is the practical application of your discipline? <laughs> time. Yeah. Yeah. Just having, making sure I've got chunks of time and then, you know, whatever happens, happens or doesn't happen. I might erase 20, hundred yeah. words. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your, what, what do you, what do you do outside of writing that sort of allows mm. you chunks of time? Um, what's, what's your day job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's something as well, since I've, you know, sort of, dedicated you know committed myself to mm-hmm. this project and to writing i've just been playing around a lot and find I've, I've hit something that i think really works <laughs> i'm an Eng- i'm an english language teacher it's very right. flexible mm-hmm. i can go away i can come back they'll have me it's fine um and i um and i also used to work as a funeral celebrant i think i saw that on your linkedin actually yeah but that doesn't work <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't work i thought that it would because it's um, there's something really nice about a lot of the. I used to work in community services, so mm-hmm. supporting people, but also writing the eulogy and writing people's life stories. You know, yeah. uh, I like that, and I was very honoured to do that. But it's very, um, it's very full on, yeah. And you've got to be available and on at any time, yeah. Could you yeah. detach when you were no. writing other people's stories? Uh, oh, less so. Yeah. Yeah, less, less so. Why do you think that is? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I was even, and maybe because it is, the, the context of the telling is so true. Like it's, it's a, but then so, so often people wouldn't want to write the true thing anyway. So it was kind of a lot of shaping and embellishing as, yeah. as well. That yeah. when you're To make it something that pretty. tells. Or yeah, to make it something pretty. Yeah. Because I guess a eulogy has to be positive. Yeah, no, really, yeah. yeah. Is that... What was what was that like for you emotionally, like to be a funeral celebrant? How long did you last? I lasted for six months. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's probably a fair amount of time. Did they have much of a turnover? Do you know? A turnover? Like as in like did, did people... Oh. Were people often like... Like not turning over a body or anything, <laughs> just like in employees. Like, like was it often a case that people would come by, do six months, and then exit? Or I don't know because you very rarely meet other celebrants. Right. It's mostly mostly the funeral home. You should have unionized. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe I'll revisit in in the future. It is. I mean, I enjoyed doing it, but I was very emotional, and especially mm. reading it out you know yeah much more than like i was more emotional than than about it than reading my own story yeah, yeah. so the, so the process of being a funeral celebrant and writing the eulogy did you did people sort of send you things that like documents and things that they've written or did you have to go talk to people yeah. about the Go person. talk, yeah. Wow. And, and so sit down with someone for three hours or something, and then, and and then and then just have you know the blob that I'm talking about, just yeah. have a blob, and then go back and write something out of that. And you know, like as I was saying, like sometimes it's kind of fictional too, <laughs> mm. creating a life story. Well, it's a thing because so often it's it's not a clear story. Yeah, and there are things that also are not you know, the family or whatever, don't think it's appropriate to say, or, you know, lots of hidden 
Yes, of course. The, the onion is someone will say, well, he did this because of this. Oh, but you can't say that that was why. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, well, now I have no character motivation. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess I'll invent... Oh, no. <laughs> that sounds really stressful. I've never thought about it. For some reason, I always assume that the eulogy was just written by a really nice family member. Sometimes it is, yeah. but often it's not. Yeah, gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you were when you were writing other people's stories, did you find that you had less time or energy for writing your own? Yeah, and that's that's kind of a, a less because um, my it's so emotional, so mm. m- so much of my inner resources were directed there. So that's kind of also why I decided, you know, teaching my international students it's a total joy. Like they're just so much fun, and like I love going there, and it's a good balance for. You know, I've, I've, I've tried it and I just go crazy if I just write. I go nuts. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah, you got to get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got to get out. So the international students you teach, they're, are they sort of, um, are they university age? Are they older? Yeah. Are older people who have sort of come and migrated? Like, what's the demographic that you're teaching? Um, most of the students are 20 to 40 and mm-hmm. they're, they're mostly all from Latin America. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they yeah. just want to learn English, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, you're obviously passionate about language and words and whatnot. It must be a good fit. Yeah, yeah. And the people you meet when you're teaching, do do you sometimes do they sometimes have voices and ways of thinking and stuff that inspire characters, or not so much? Is it more just a professional? Yeah, I think it's well so far professional, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You meet someone and you're like, aha, you're in my story. Now. Yeah. Um, I know. I think I've I've done that before with someone I've taught like a at a high school. I've just been like, all right, you're, you're in you're in my book now. <laughs> Tough luck. And, um, and can I just ask you? Did you did you tell him or not? I I, I, I teach. I usually teach one off workshops. Oh, okay. Oh, so okay. Oh, it was right. kind of like just like sort of kept coming back yeah. to that kid. I think I did. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I didn't tell him because I didn't know at the time. Yeah. And then you sort of bubbles around your idea, like a kid will say, like you said, like uh, people say things, and you're mm-hmm. like, uh huh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so you, uh, beyond sort of being a writer, although this is very tied to writing, and it's something I'm interested in. You're very sort of in the zine sort of community. Yeah. And you make zines. Yeah. What is it that attracts you to that? Uh, that sort of way of displaying your practice that way of sort of communicating and presenting um well like five years ago when i started writing all this that was the um i don't i i knew about zines before that but i'd never really i never even occurred to me to write a zine but then i just i was going to tina mm-hmm. and in newcastle and i yeah. just thought i'm gonna make a zine and i did and then I just loved the interaction. You know, it's very um, egalitarian. There's everyone's on an even mm-hmm. field. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if you're a 15 year old kid from cattle country or you know whoever you are. Like it's very yeah egalitarian. And I just loved the like people still. A last a uh, couple of weeks ago, I got an email about a zine that I'd written five years ago. Like wow, uh, yeah. And it's really nice. It's so nice. <laughs> Where'd they find it? Um, she bought it at a zine fair and it took her five years to read it <laughs> because she had a baby. 
it's a fair reason to <laughs> delay your reading list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tina's a really good festival, especially the, the Writers Festival part. Um, mm. Are you a regular or did you just sort of go? I went for a few years, but I haven't been in the last two, two years. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, and I haven't actually made a zine for a long time, but this, this thing that I'm writing here, because I've got the first draft finished, but it won't be ready for a little while, but I'm going to make a zine, because Zix, the zine and independent comics and those is in August. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to make a sort of limited edition zine. Lovely. Yeah, it'll be a very chunky zine. <laughs> yeah, because it, it'll be like a small piece of paper, but with a long story or... Um, well, I don't know, 10,000 words. I, I hope I can staple it. That's all I'm saying. Get, yeah. get one of those industrial staples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or go yeah. to the library and borrow one. Might be smarter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and the other, the other thing that I was going to say was um, that there's um, Tim and Emma who do who have a Take Care zine distro in Sydney. Mm-hmm. They actually um, kind of you know wrote little descriptors of some of my zines, and they actually told me years you know years ago what I was doing. So it was that was kind of really nice as well. You know, when you sort of start, you don't really know what you're writing about, and yeah. sometimes it takes someone else to. Who's very articulate. Yeah, they'll go, this story is about X. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, it's been very fruitful for me. Yeah, Yeah, I guess having having that close community and especially... You, you, made, you made a fair number of zines, right? Yeah, yeah. But the, all, of the, all of those zines have... I mean, all of the, the stories in the zines have had, like, double and triple lives. Yeah. And I kind of like that. Mm. Yeah. That well, the zine is sort of a very personal uncurated sort of raw expression of a story which is yeah. cool but then their other lives have that been like publications and journals and stuff like that yeah or? yeah and a performance somewhere or whatever <laughs> and so they've had like a few different lives and i just think you know the more the more avenues there are to you know have something be out there or be shared why not yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I know it's very low art, high art, but I, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't think you should give a shit. I think, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think zines play an incredibly important part. Maybe, maybe more for for the artist because I think, and I think you mentioned this to me in one of our first conversations, is that you really like having a tangible output, which is something that sometimes, as a writer, mm. you know, you write a ten thousand word story and it's five hundred kilobytes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that something you struggle with sometimes? Like when you're working on a lot of writing, mm. do you struggle with not feeling like you have you, there's an output element there? or? Because they've been mostly short stories because they haven't taken too long and mm. I just shoot them out, <laughs> you yeah. know, somewhere and, you know, hopefully eventually they get you know, picked up by someone. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how it's going to be because I've got an idea for you know a, a longer like a novel how mm. it'll be to yeah like for you know because things take years it's years. not you know an overnight thing and how it'll feel then I don't know maybe I'll just do little zine chapters <laughs> and send them out how yeah. um what's your idea do you want to share or is no. that under wraps at the moment <laughs> is that yeah. is that is that 
is that because you don't want to say it? This is this isn't like me trying to get you to yeah, say yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm more interested in your reasoning why. Is it because yeah. you don't want to say it before you know exactly what it is? Yeah, or is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't even know if it will be because you have an idea or a stirring, and then but whether it's gonna like blossom, <laughs> who knows? At what <laughs> at what point do you feel comfortable, sort of? expressing uh, what your ideas are and what you're working on like how far along does something need to be um, I have I think I would have to be well going by I mean but even with this project I, I didn't really even know what I was doing until halfway through yeah mm. so um, yeah once once I really feel like it, I have a hold it has a hold of me and I have a hold of it then it's good to talk about it for me <laughs> yeah. yeah um which sort of leads me to maybe a, a near closing question but um okay. why walnuts almonds nuts the title yeah because I like it I like it because it it has nuts twice and <laughs> that would usually be a bad decision but it's really nice so how did you come up with that title it's the title of a short story within the collection yeah. So maybe use that title to sort of springboard to a story and give give us a taste of what that is. Of the story? Of the or story or of the title. Oh. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll just answer why. Should yeah. I answer why? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the stories is called Walnuts, Almonds, Nuts, and it's about a guy actually who who I met in Macedonia who mm-hmm. his, um, his house, his apartment was scattered with walnuts, almonds, nuts on his floor, and that's kind of just the way that he lived in and. I think it was some kind of artist. <laughs> it was a metaphor for the way he thought about Macedonia. But it, it's just kind of a bit, uh, the title's a bit nutty and a lot of the characters are very quirky in the stories. That's so, incredible. That's true? Yeah, you, that's true. Yeah. And he really, he really had the nuts over the floor because that's how he felt about the nation he lived in. Yeah, and he had nutcrackers everywhere and you could crack a nut. That's incredible. <laughs> if you wanted to. That's my favourite thing I've heard all day. This is the third <laughs> podcast we've done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, wow. And so the there's that short story. And really, because I, did, I didn't know how to write a novella then. So I just took the last scene of, of the novella, the blob. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote the novella. I just finished it a few months ago. And so it's kind of like the 12-inch version and then the album at the end I don't, sure. I don't even know if that is going to work but that's the way it is no no um yeah. okay so 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 you've got all your shorts and then the novellas at the yeah. end yeah yeah i think that could work yeah sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Thanks. i look forward to reading it um oh. so the collection you it was long listed for a varuna fellowship yeah um and then you're sort of waiting till you're done and then might See where it, see where it can go. Yeah, I hope so. I'm doing a mentorship with Edwina Shaw at mm-hmm. GWC at the moment. We're going through it, and you know, um, hopefully, she's so great. Um, it's really great to have somebody who's on who's kind of on your side. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Everyone's my enemy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know we'll see what happens I, I don't even feel really i'd love i'd love it to be published but if it isn't like again it's been a great apprenticeship yeah mm. and it's fine and i guess yeah. edwina is part of that apprenticeship now she's yeah. like the final sensei or whatever <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah cool well yeah. i ho- i hope i hope it does get shared with the world 
<laughs> and I and I can't wait to hear your reading and see your zines on um, Saturday at the showcase. And um, what are you doing next? What's after after House Conspiracy? What are you doing next? And where can people uh, find you online? Yeah, uh, I'm then after this, I'm writing the last story. Mm-hmm. Um, and just tomorrowadverse.com. Come and see me at Zix on the twentieth. Twentieth yeah. of, of um, August. August. Twentieth of yeah. August at Zix. You'll be. Yeah. Um, you'll have a very the world's thickest zine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, Thank you hey. for being so such a lovely questioner. Oh, that's all right. I felt a little bit scattered, which we try not to do three podcasts in a day for that reason. But I, I think I think things came together um, yeah. about midway through. <laughs> so um, for those of you who made it all the way, uh, thanks for being a good audience and thanks for being a great interviewee. Um, and um, I'm glad you have your complicated relationship with Macedonianness because we all get to learn from it. <laughs> Thank you, Tamara. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the House Conspiracy podcast recorded at House Conspiracy and produced by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. If you have feedback or you want to say hi, or if there's something you'd like to see us do, you can email us at house at houseconspiracy.org and you can email me directly about ideas for future podcasts at jonathan at houseconspiracy.org. You can also support us by becoming a member or by donating to us at houseconspiracy.org slash donate. See you next time.